139 is leaning on the everlasting arms. Let's sing verse 1, then we'll have our missionary moments, and then we'll sing verses 2 and 3, okay? What a fellowship. This is the first few words. What a fellowship, what a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. We'll have our missionary moments and then pray, and there are several not with us, of course, but the fellowship is still good in the Lord, isn't it? Shane, thank you for being willing to pray, even though I put you on the spot. Our Father in heaven, first of all, thank you so much for this wonderful day. Amen. Thank you so much for the snow. I pray that, Lord, you would keep us all safe in our travels through it, to and from church. Lord, I pray that you would be with our missionaries wherever they might be. And it wasn't just these three, but there was there was four more that we yes. that we um, selected to uh, give a gift to this year. And Lord, we pray that you would bless each and every one of them, not only with health and prosperity, but also, Lord, in their um, missions experience with their. the things that you have selected them to do for you. I pray that you keep them safe. I pray that you would um, afford them opportunities and not necessarily because of devastation. Um, For those who have experienced this uh, massive earthquake in Japan, I pray, Lord, that uh, the missionaries would be able to help those people that are suffering. I pray, Lord, that you would Bless them in a very special way. And Lord, again, that you keep them safe in their endeavors. We thank you so much again for this day and for the opportunity to worship and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Shane. For the sake of time, let's just sing verse 3, okay? Number 139, leaning on the everlasting arms. Verse 3. What I do dread to fear leaning on the everlasting arms I have blessed peace with my Lord so near leaning on the everlasting arms leaning leaning safe and secure from all alarms leaning Everlasting arms. Alan, is this the. Did you want this pen up here? Okay. I had a question come up. And um, I'm excited about that. It challenges me some, but more than importantly, it tells me that you folks are being as the Bereans were, and you're searching the Word of God, and you're seeking to understand what God says to you specifically through His Word. 
that you're not trusting this guy who is fallible, who makes mistakes, who may not fully understand, and you're searching the word for yourself. So I'm excited about that. That's, that really should be the goal of any instructor, any teacher, anybody leading uh, a study, is to motivate those listening to study for themselves and to get a handle on it. But I was asked to revisit um, a comment that I made. <clears throat> and before I dive into that just a little bit, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. Um, I want to just um, remind you that the first day that I was up here starting this study, I made a comment about being dogmatic and how a lot of the things about angels specifically, but other things in the scriptures, we have to kind of gather the information, maybe even sometimes read a little bit between the lines, but there was going to be a lot of things that I shared in this study or dropped upon that we could probably not be fully dogmatic about, okay? And so this is one of them. And the comment I made was that angels have their own language, or potentially have their own language. And I got that from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. And the word of God reads, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I, have sound, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And so the question was, or the comment was, that feels to me like, and this person, that's fine, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate them voicing that to me. But that it was a stretch to, based on that, to claim that angels have their own language. And I get that. What I would, would say, and I, and I couldn't really find any additional uh, supporting that. Several authors that I've read um, also come to that same conclusion that angels have their own uh, language. But one of the things that I would remind us is that their language or their communication was to the people who were listening, and it was always that they could understand. So whether that was uh, in a a language that was transliterated through that, or if they spoke in the language of the person, whether it be Hebrew or Greek, we would be very arrogant for us to think that they spoke English at the time. But that's where our minds go, right? Because that's what we do. But they communicate. Now, there's also some folks that use this verse, the speaking of the tongues of angels, to support the idea that um, speaking in tongues is a thing currently. They, they call upon this and say, well, Paul was saying, I can speak in normal language or I can speak in tongues, the tongues of angels. I think that is an issue as well because in my understanding of scripture, and again, there's people who will disagree with me, but I feel like the, the sign uh, gifts those of miracles, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, theirs have ceased. That's called a, a cessation theology, okay? 
And some people, well, wait a minute, where do you get that? Well, if you look in, in that same scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and you look down a little bit in verse 8, now he's talking about some of these gifts, and he says, but love never fails. But where there are prophecies, and this is the prophecies that are telling of future events, this is not the prophetic nature of speaking the given word of God and communicating that. This is prophecies of future events. They will fail. Fail basically means they will end. Okay, that's the, the terminology there. And whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, they will vanish away. For we know now in part, and we prophesy in part, but then that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away. And so to me, I extrapolate that these special gifts, these miracle gifts, if you will, are done away with or they ceased once we got the full written word of God. Because remember, those gifts, those signs, were for validating the message of those early teachers. And so that's where that goes. So I said all of that to say, um, is there a specific language or a special language that angels have? I think it's very possible. I don't know what else Paul would have been talking about when he says tongues of angels. But can I be dogmatic about that? I don't think I can. Okay, so I hope that helps some of you. Um, you know, I, I don't know as I, I would, well, dispensation basically just means a season or a time, right? Am I right? I'm here. I'm not Okay. Dispensation. So, so he, he was saying that he had read where the tongues were for a dispensation or for a period of time. Um, I, I don't know. That's, that's one. I'm not a well-educated Bible scholar type of person, but I think that might be a little bit of a misapplication of that. You, you tell me. Well, I, I would add to that, you know, there, there was multiple spiritual gifts given, and some of those are still active today. So, so just to apply the word dispensation to, to spiritual gifts would would kind of throw that out of balance in my thinking well and and you also you know Paul was writing to the Corinthians that had a lot of troubles that were causing divisions and in, if you look and you look at the whole first letter of the Corinthians you see that this chapter 13 is placed right in between two chapters that discuss the spiritual gifts and it was designed, we like to apply it to marriage and all of these other things. That was not its original intent. Its original intent was to get the readers of this letter, of the first Corinthians, to understand that they needed love above anything else. That seeking these other gifts and seeking these other things and elevating those above love was a mistake. And it was what was causing the divisions and the troubles within their church. So, side note, a lot of time spent, I guess, on, on not ne- unnecessary stuff, but not specifically totally related to our study here today. All right? 
So we're ready to dive in just a little bit more? Oh, you got something else hanging on your tongue. What was it? No? Okay. All right. We left off getting ready to dive into angelic organization. So the letter L. Now we'll see. I want to try and at least get through our organization today. And then hopefully we'll spend one Sunday on what do angels do. And then one Sunday I'm going to try and combine fallen angels with angels in the future for us. So hopefully today and then maybe two more Sundays and then you won't have to look at me in the face much more again (laughs) for now, okay? All right, so angel organization. Now one of the things that we see as we study angels is that there appears to be a very strong evidence that there is an organization, that there are um, levels or different groupings of angels with different functions, and that God, being a God of organization, has organized also the creation of angels to him. Now, there is a lot of study, study um, theologians that have developed all kinds of, of hierarchies and, and, and patterns and and, and, and I'm not going to try and do that. I, I'm just going to give you some of the categories that, that I see in, in the organizational structure. And we'll talk briefly about some of the things that that means to them. But um, you can go all over the place with this organization thing. And, and so I, I don't want to get too heavy into that. But we definitely know that there are archangels. In Jude chapter 9 or verse 9 it mentions one specifically Jude verse 9 yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation but said the Lord rebuke you so we see at least Michael specifically identified as an archangel Ark basically means chief or principal or great. And the word or the name Michael, which we, we all know that names in, the, in biblical times meant a whole lot more than they do today, which I think is unfortunate. Some of these people that give names today, <laughs> I don't know where they come from or what they, but anyway, the, the name Michael means who is like God. Now, there is debate on whether there is more than one archangel, or there may have been more than one archangel. In Daniel, in chapter 10, in verse 13, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So we see Daniel getting a report back from from a message of uh, he had been praying and 
and it took three weeks for the prayer to get back and and as the angel reports he says look the reason i was delayed is there was this battle going on in heaven that the prince of persia or and who who probably um at very least was a demon may have been satan himself but an opposed the the messenger until michael the archangel and he says one of the princes or one of the um one of the chief princes so one of those chiefs one of those elevated one of those archangels came so by looking at that we can at least infer possibly that there are more than others but we do not see any others named as such that i could find Okay, so we have the archangels, which are probably the high ones, the the top of the the organizational structure, if you will. We see messenger angels. Point number two, messenger angels. We one we the one we see the most of that is named anyway is Gabriel. If you're still in Daniel, go to chapter nine. Daniel chapter 9, verses 21 through 23. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, so he's referring back to another one in chapter 8, where another interaction he had, and this one he names Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me, and he talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have come forth to give you skill to understand. And at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved or beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And then verse 27 then he shall confirm a covenant for many, for, with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes, de- makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So we see a message from heaven. Actually, this message is is about the end times. When we get to study the eschatology, we'll, we'll refer to this, and Daniel is being given the message that interprets the dream for the king. So we see that there are messenger angels that bring that message, okay? Someone want to turn to Luke chapter 1 and read for me verses 11 through 19. And who, who do we see there? Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 19. Who's, who's, who's the angel there? The angel of the Lord. But doesn't it say um, Gabriel? What verse did you see that? 19. Okay. And again, this is, this is that time when, when the angel is talking to... Um, or talking about the coming of Jesus. And we see a couple of places 
Um, and then again in 26 through 37, we see another message that is given that is also um, given as the, the person speaking is given as Gabriel. Do you see it? Yeah, 26. Gabriel. Okay? So those are the times that they're named. But others in Luke chapter 2, which we're all very familiar with this time of year, we've, we've hit it multiple times, the messenger is not named. But they bring a message of good tidings, right? And great joy. And so we see that there are some angels that at least one of their many duties might be bringing message, messages to us. Okay? The third one that I identify is seraphim, which is plural for seraph. Um, probably their main duties or the ones that we see are um, praising God and maybe some other duties. The number one place that we usually look at for this one is Isaiah or Isaiah, depending on how you want to speak today. Isaiah, or Isaiah, chapter 6. This is one probably that a lot of us are familiar with. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood seraphim. And you'll notice that a lot of times when you see the seraph or the seraphim, which which is the plural form, pictured, they're usually above the throne. They're they're in a place that, that gives worship and glory to God. And so he says... Um, above it stood seraphim each one had six wings with two covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew so there's there's a picture there and I'm not going to get deep into that but there's a picture of humility there's a picture of reverence and there's also a picture of of being able to move and to move about And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So there was probably multiple ones. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house is filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am unclean, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. So we see maybe not only the function of of worship or praise of God, but at God's direction, they, I don't know if heal would be the right word, but they cleansed Isaiah with, with the, the um, coal from the fire. Now, remember, as we talked about before, angels only act 
under the sovereign will of God. They are acting at his direction and his will. Now, another one that's kind of difficult for us to grasp, because this is not something we would normally see, is the cherubim. That's, again, the plural of cherub. And we see this in in many places, but Ezekiel is probably the one that we most often refer refers to the cherubim. Ezekiel. In chapter 1, we'll just start there. We're not going to, like I said, we could spend all day, even in just Ezekiel, going over the cherubim. Okay? What does it say in verse 5? Someone would like to read that? Okay. And it goes on to explain a little bit more about what they looked like. And, and again, I'm not going to spend much time on, on trying to identify all of these things about legs and faces and eyes and, and all of that. Basically understanding that these were more guardian. We, we know that a cherub was placed at the gate of the Garden of Eden when men were kicked out of the garden. And so they were placed there to, to protect or to guard the Garden of Eden. We know that cherubs were placed on the, around the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Testament, which guarded that holy spot that was representative for God himself to be. And we probably will see those same kind of things in heaven. Probably from the, if we go, let let me think, um, I'm trying to work from memory now and that's not always safe. But uh, is it Ezekiel 28? Chapter 10.20? See, you guys are on top of it. What am I doing up here? (laughs) Go ahead, Sean. You want to share that? <laughs> See, my my uh, my pointer's not here. <laughs> okay, so so there's there's a reference there that he's referencing back to that experience that he had, and and if you like, I said, if you spend time in Ezekiel, you're going to see all kinds of representations about these cherub uh, eyes and wheels and, and all kinds of things like that. That You also, interestingly enough, I mentioned the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubs that are there. In the tabernacle and in the temple, they were very common to be placed in the artwork or the, uh, the veils and the curtains and things like that, woven into that fabric as a guardian of the holy of holies and that holiness uh, that was going on. Did you have something you wanted to say? Yes, he was. Before he was booted out. Before he he got himself booted out, right? And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to fallen angels. Okay? All right. So let's get going here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. All right. We also sometimes see um, 
a reference to living creatures. And this is particularly in Revelation chapter 4 when we get that picture of the, the wonderful worship service in heaven that we can all look forward to. And it says that there are living creatures. Now, as they describe them to me, it looks kind of like a hybrid of cherubim and seraphim because they're not quite the same. They don't quite match up, but they're labeled as living creatures, and they're seen in a couple of places in Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, we see them around the throne. Verse 7, someone there? Okay. And so, again, there's a lot of symbolism that could be attached to it, but we're not, that's not the goal of, of what I have here today. But we see them, where were they at? They were around the throne. They were worshiping and praising God. They were looking at that. And it also says that they were covered with eyes, front and back and all around. I don't know. Some suggest that that means they could see the past, the present, and the future, front and back. Okay? They show up again in chapter 6, verse 1. When they were opening the first seal, and I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. So we see him show up there announcing that, hey, come, come look, John, and what's going on at the opening of this seal. You also see it in um, verse, or chapter 15, kind of announcing judgment, if you will. Now notice that they're announcing what Christ is doing. Verse 6, And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues clothed with um, bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who, who lives forever and ever. And so we see them at least in part being involved in the dispense or the dispersing of judgment. And we'll get to more of that at the end of the study. Okay? They are closely related to some others called the 24 elders. Most believe that refers or represents the rapture church, the believers. And there are scriptures there for you to look up and see that okay any questions there okay mostly because they're they're clothed in white robes which is is a representation of the cleansing of the blood of christ okay they're called watchers in daniel chapter four actually that's nebuchadnezzar speaking of it Interesting how God can use even the secular to glorify himself. But Nebuchadnezzar, in his discussion, says in chapter 4, verse 13, And I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. And then again in verse 17, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. 
That's going to be another one that we're going to come up with later. Holy ones, all right? So we see them referred to as such. There's 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 9 probably speaks to that, as well as um, Luke 15, 10, if you want to look at that. Those, those are, they, they are referenced more like spectators in that. And I just kind of combined the, the watchers and the spectators. They might should have been in separate or, or just spectator might be more of a function than a organizational title, okay? They watch us. They're watching. There may be a connection when we get to talking about what angels do. We're going to talk a little bit about guardian angels. Um, just, just kind of a, maybe a teaser, is guardian angels is one of those things that is also loosely fit and whether we have a specific guardian angel or not is up for debate. Now, we'll have some scriptures that we can look at that maybe seems to imply that we have at least some assigned to watch us specifically. But the, the answer that we're going to come to, I hope, is that why does it matter whether we have a single individual guardian angel when we realize all the hosts of heaven are looking out for us? Okay, so that's a kind of a teaser. We'll, we'll get into that when we get into things too. But they watch. And, and, and last week we talked a little bit about the angels rejoicing when one comes to know the Lord. I think that's the Luke 15 reference. It's, they're watching. There's, there's also implication that, that um, they watch us to see about our interaction with God because we're redeemed and they are not. They don't have that same relationship to God. We have had opportunity to, to sin, to be out of relationship with God and to be restored by the blood of Christ. And so we have a status, if you will, that angels don't have. And so they're curious about it. They watch us. Paul writes and says that they even watch our worship services to some degree. Okay? All right. Any other questions? Golly. I just get too long-winded, don't I? (laughs) It does go fast. All right? Um, They're called mighty ones in some places. And there are scriptures there for you to look. Holy ones. Some people want to make that terminology holy ones. And, and apply it to the saints. I'm not sure that that's something they can do. Um, but Daniel 8.13 is one where, where he refers to the holy ones. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one that said to, certain who was, um, to that certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation and the giving of both the sanctuary and the hosts of the tr- to be trampled underfoot. Now, one of the ones that we see most often, and I'll, and I'll try and wrap this up, are the idea of hosts. And the terminology hosts tends to represent or look at and, and imply a military type of organization to it. But we know that there is the hosts of heaven that were um, identified. And there's, there's um, 
there there's first samuel and second chronicles and second kings we see um the event where where when elisha's um, servant he prays for his servant's eyes to be opened and he sees all the hosts of heaven and the chariots they're connected oftentimes with chariots uh, protecting them and looking over them so that the uh, they don't have to fear the army before them and then we also see thrones and powers and rulers and authorities and there's other places that we see those there's both good representation there's evil representation in those And there's both. And you can see some of the scriptures that are there. So um, in in in, uh, responsibility to time, we're going to close with that. If I feel like I can do that, I will review some of this next week. And then we'll get into um, finishing this part out. Okay? Does that sound like a plan? Any questions or comments before we close? I hope this is being somewhat meaningful to you all. Okay? It's, it's, very, it's very heavy, but it's also very convoluted at times. It's really hard to nail down. And so when I get to stumbling around up here, I, I hope you're following me to some degree. Well, I told you early on, I'm not the person to be very dogmatic about much. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and what it means to us. And Father, what what it makes available to us. Father, we have before us in, in these pages the representation of who you are and everything that we need to know for this earth is here before us. If we just take a look and dive in and, and learn and know you through your revealed word. And so, Father, we thank you for this time, and I thank you for these people and their graciousness in allowing me to, to help lead things along. And, and I just pray for that, that, Father, you would, would take control of this, this humble, feeble person and, and use it mightily so that you might be glorified. So, Father, we thank you for this day and for all your blessings. Go before us now into the worship time in Jesus' name. Amen.